This is the Upstate Coffee Collective podcast where we talk to coffee professionals, coffee enthusiasts, and people from all walks of life about, well, life and coffee. On today's episode, we talk to our good friend Ron Greco, who is the co-owner and co-founder of Stax Espresso Bar in Albany and Troy, New York. We get to talk to Ron about his entry into the coffee industry, the birth of Stax Espresso Bar. Uh, we talk to him about his role at Stax, something called the Capital Region Coffee Collective, which sounds very similar, interestingly, to what we do. We talk to Ron about what it's like to expand your business from one location to multiple and how working with a business partner with a different approach or different goals than you can be both a challenge and an opportunity for massive growth both personally and professionally. You'll also notice that the audio quality of this podcast is not so good, uh, especially compared to last podcast. So last podcast was the first podcast uh, with our new equipment, and uh, we were really excited about it, but obviously in the current state of the world, Kevin and I did not want to get together and risk uh, infecting one another uh, and spreading this virus. We all need to do our part and stay home. So this podcast was recorded over Skype. And so the audio quality reflects that. We hope you enjoy the show as much as we enjoyed recording it. Ron is a wonderful human being. And we can't wait to see him in person and have lots of good coffee and give lots of high fives and hugs again. Uh, we hope that you are staying healthy, happy, and that you are warm and well-fed. Enjoy the show. Checking mics. Oh, God. How's your day, man? It's been okay. You know, I'm like... Just been hanging out at home mostly. Yeah, this has uh, got to be like a weird limbo based. Yeah. To be in. I, Damn. I have no idea what's going to happen. Oh uh, my God. Our... So just kind of dealing with that as best as possible. And, you know, yeah. I mean, I haven't taken more than five days off of work since October of 2017. So, oh my God. In, so in some ways, I'm like, I'm chilling, you know, um, yeah, and, absolutely. You know, it, and it's, so it's kind of nice for that. And also like, you know, I I've gone places and done things, but not for very long, uh, mainly because like scheduling stuff and, you know, money stuff and whatever. But, um, in those times where I did take two weeks off, you know, you go somewhere on vacation, you know, like in mm -hmm. 17, we went to Mexico for two weeks, which is, um, you know, it was amazing. And I don't regret that at all, but, um, being forced to stay in your house is a different thing. Uh, yeah. And, and so I think it's different my wife for and everyone, I, right? Like, yeah. I think people yeah, handle it sure. differently. Yeah. Um, my wife actually had a cold when this was first starting. So Whoa. we pretty immediately quarantined, like before all the, you know, kind of restrictions were given. So as of tomorrow, we've actually been inside for 14 days now. Oh, um, my God. So, yeah, I mean, we, have, we haven't left at all. Like we've gotten, you know, Instacart deliveries, like just because she had a cold. So we were freaked out. And then my downstairs neighbor actually tested positive. Uh, Whoa. So it's yeah. like in your building kind of thing. 
yeah, I mean, in my building, like we have a, you know, it's an old Albany brownstone. Like he's directly downstairs from me. We walk directly in front of his front door. So like even getting deliveries, we've been like using gloves, opening my door and stuff, which apparently that was false positive, um, you know, which is a, a relief for sure. But, um, okay. you know, and, that is good. Yeah. And I feel, you know, fairly certain that we don't have it, but like, you know, we're just kind of used to like, we're used to living inside now a little bit. And I'm actually, we haven't been really going stir crazy. I mean, we've certainly had times of boredom, but I'm not like losing my mind. Washington parks across the street from my house. So we've taken some walks on nice days and stuff, but like, that's, that's it. That's the only leaving we've done. Uh, yeah. we've cooked a meal for the past 14 days in our house. Um, we've gotten a lot of Instacart deliveries. Uh, we've watched mm -hmm. a lot of movies. Also, like I started fixing cabinets in my house that were broken and like I had a leaky, a leaky, uh, you know, shower head and like, that's right now, like so, all, all of these, uh, all these task list items that, you know, fell way to the bottom of your priorities. Now you can finally, you know, you, you always said in your head, like, oh, one day I'll just take a couple personal days in a row. There'll be like a staycation yeah. and I'll get it done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I've, 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 I've always said that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I tend to be more of an introvert. So there was always a piece of me that, that, you know, couldn't wait for that day that I was, you know, <laughs> kind of forced to hang out at home for a little bit. Uh, no, it's not anymore. <laughs> you yeah, know, now oh you're like, mm, I maybe shouldn't have wished for that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely different. Um, being forced to, you know, uh, yeah. I've talked to people who would be completely content staying in their house for two weeks. Um, but when you're told you have to stay in the house, it's a, it's a different thing altogether in a, mm -hmm. in a strange way. Uh, yeah. You know, when the options removed. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, we were saying something like that. Um, I think last weekend, Kevin and I got together for a podcast and we were saying that there is something about the, the removal of options that yeah. scares the shit out of human beings. Yeah. yeah you know, sure. and, and uncertainty too. We don't like not knowing things. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that just happened for me today because I got, I woke up to a, a message that was, uh, hey, the husband of one of your coworkers, not even anyone that I work with at the wine store, but her husband tested positive, like, just last night. And so I'm like, okay, cool. Well, now I'm going proper self-quarantine. Like I'm literally, yeah. yeah. So now I'm looking at 14 days and I'm like, all right, well, this is, yeah. what, this is where I live. What, what to do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's so well, weird. Um, um, let's, uh, let's, it off. let's get like a hard, yeah, let's kick it off. Let's get a hard start. So we'll, kick we'll it start off, the Matt. podcast here. Um, what are we doing as Joe, here? <laughs> as Joe Rogan would say, we're live. Um, this and is, we're and we're live. This is uh, the Upstate Coffee Collective podcast. Um, we sit down and talk about coffee, but we also talk to and about the people involved in coffee. Kevin, why don't you introduce our guest? So Ron I up. Greco. <laughs> Greco? Greco? I don't know Ron's last name. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is it Greco? It's Greco. It's spelled like Greco, but it is pronounced Greco. Okay, so Ron Greco from Stax Espresso Bar. That's correct. Yep, yes. and you guys have four locations now? 
we have yeah we have four shops um we also have a roastery which is like a separate warehouse space and we have a a co-working space that's kind of under the stacks umbrella as well okay cool uh well we normally ask people who are you how are you what do you do but we already did the who so how are you and what do you do uh i'm okay i'm you know um yeah I'm adjusting, you know, uh, for for anyone that listens to this in the future, where <laughs> we're in the midst of uh, the COVID-19 coronavirus uh, thing. And so I've been in the house for two weeks straight. Uh, I, tomorrow, about four in the afternoon, will mark uh, a full 14 days. Um, all four of our shops are closed. <laughs> um, yeah. They've been closed for about a week and a half now. Um mm-hmm. We had kind of made the decision as soon as this stuff started really kind of popping up in New York. Um, we have a, a, a full staff like WhatsApp group chat, mm-hmm. and we, you know, myself and, and Tyler, my business partner, put out uh, a full, you know, blanket offer for anyone that didn't feel comfortable coming to work for any reason. They didn't have to give us an explanation or whatever. They would get like laid off. I'm doing air quotes here. Um, but they would, they would get laid off, um, guaranteed a job back as soon as we had capacity for it. And, yeah. um, a couple people took us up on that immediately. And then, you know, everything started going nuts kind of two weeks ago. Monday was when, you know, we switched to takeout and then like, you know, two days later it became, uh, you know, mandatory that food service establishments did take out only. And then mm-hmm. that Friday, you know, we're still classified as essential business, um, essential services, but, you know, we, we took a poll through the group chat. I was feeling a lot of sort of guilt, um, because there's, there's essential businesses out there, you know, like grocery stores right now, essential businesses for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. coffee shops aren't, um, you know, and we, we sort of debated between, um, the role a coffee shop plays in the community as being like a place where people go, especially, you know, people that live alone, uh, where they go to get sort of their daily social interaction, even if it's from a distance. Um, and we sort of weighed that against the possibility that we were contributing to the spread of this thing and we and we did it transparently with our whole staff and we we pulled our whole staff and ultimately we decided to close um yeah and like you know i wrote the sort of uh temporary farewell on our instagram and like i cried while i was writing that you know like we spent six building this thing and april will hit six years since we opened and um yeah. So, you know, so writing, <laughs> writing a farewell to all our customers did not feel like what I would be doing at that point. Uh, but it's actually been a, a honestly a big relief that we're closed outside mm-hmm. of just, you know, currently ignoring the thoughts of what might happen in the future. Um, because yeah. I think it's kind of pointless to speculate on right now. And me worrying about it isn't going to change anything. So no. I'm just... I'm relieved that I don't have to make these decisions, these like major decisions right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And just taking this time to be like, okay, I'm at home. I don't have to think about work because there's no work to think about other than like forwarding web store orders because we're still doing online stuff. But that's it. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, we're doing it. You know, so 
there's not really any um, anything for me to think about. So I'm kind of just trying to like, lean into relaxing a little bit, connecting with my wife, connecting with our apartment. You know, like my plants have never been so well cared for, cared for <laughs> ever. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. And you know, I'm just trying to sink into that as much as possible right now. I'm like learning new recipes to cook. So like, I'm oh, that's not awesome. Out, but I'm also um, knowingly ignoring <laughs> some stuff that's going on in the world because I can't really do anything to change it right now. Yeah. Yeah. The best thing that we can do is, you know, listen to our leaders, listen to our community and, you know, stay home. Right. I think that is the best we can do. And so in doing that, we're kind of given this opportunity to focus inwards, which is something yeah. that our culture doesn't necessarily do very well. I think mm. we're a culture of people who just go, 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 go. Yeah. Um, and now we get to take a moment and go, okay, let me take a look around. I'm kind of stuck at home and people, a lot of people have a hard time with that. Um, but you get to go, okay, <laughs> let me take care of my plants. Let me take care of my cupboard that is squeaky or, you know, is, is loose. Um, my wife and I just finished painting, uh, our entire kitchen, the, all the cabinets in the kitchen, we painted them white, um, mm. took two full days, but what the hell else are we going to do? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, but people come, people are getting through this in different capacities. I, I work for a company that is considered essential and is not affected by the state of the economy so much because, um, we are related to like the defense department. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, the U S always needs, we, we do uh, Navy Naval training uh, support. So the America always needs Navy uh, sailors, right? They always need sailors. But when the, when the service industry shuts down, because the entire point of the service industry is for people to be together yeah, you you come to a point where I mean, so many people are out of a job or are on standby. Business owners aren't making a fraction of what they used to make. What does it look like for you right now? I'm on unemployment. OK, uh, so you're able to do that. Yeah. So I'm like I'm co-founder, but I'm also a salaried employee. So I'm on unemployment right now. Um, Tyler, who's the majority owner, um, uh, he's he's doing fine because he his primary thing is that he has a cybersecurity business. Um, oh, nice! And that's kind of his his main source of income. And Stacks is more of like uh, his passion project, sort of. Uh, he doesn't have a ton to do with the day to day operations, mm -hmm. uh, so he's okay. But you know, basically everyone else in the company is just on unemployment right now. I mean, I haven't gotten any checks from unemployment, but <laughs> but right. I am at least signed up for it. So, you know, there's definitely some uncertainty there, but, uh, you know, I don't know what it's going to look like because, you know, we're not making enough to pay any bills, not even sure. remotely close to enough to pay any bills. So, you know, yeah, if this lasts for two, three months with, you know, a business with no revenue, you know, I mean, there's there's all sorts of stuff happening. There's, you know, small business, uh, you know, stimulus packages. There's 
you know, landlord uh, mortgage forgiveness, you know, potentially some rent forgiveness. So we'll see what happens. But I have no idea, you know, what if it happens until June, July, August, September, you know, there, there's all sort everyone's saying it could go anywhere from, you know, uh, a, a month to, I mean, there's people talking about a year. Yeah, the, yeah. the president's saying we're going to be up and running by Easter, but Which, yeah, other <laughs> scientists are saying, you know, it's late summer. So yeah, there's no credible people that are saying anything remotely close to Easter. And I mean, like, you know, the other thing is, you know, we decided to shut down. We don't have to be shut down. We decided to shut down. So it's yeah, it starts to become a question of like, when is it ethical to open back up? You know, yeah. Like, um, who knows? <laughs> you yeah, know? You, yeah, you guys are trying to do the responsible thing We're and at the same to. time, yeah, consider when it would be best to reopen business and right. get moving again. Yeah. Um, um, I can't imagine what will happen if this all, you know. If it continues. I've spent eight years being a coffee professional. I don't have a degree. I don't have, I've never really had a job that I've been particularly invested in before. I've spent mm -hmm. eight years coffee and six years at stacks and so you know if this all kind of crumbles like i don't know where that leaves me uh um, yeah now i'm just choosing to ignore it and and largely believe that like it won't just crumble um yeah. you know so we'll see but uh, fingers crossed yeah exactly um i'm just trying honestly not to focus on it too too much right now yeah well you know um that's let's uh delve into early Ron Greco uh, getting into being a coffee professional because I actually, I've only heard bits and pieces of that story. The origin you, story? Yeah, you, <laughs> you actually, so you used to have the Albany Coffee Collective, right? Ooh. Yeah, so uh, Matthew Laocano and I, I used to work at Tierra Coffee Roasters, uh, mm -hmm. which was Skyline until Skyline closed, or it was Skyline before Skyline and now Skyline's closed. So, mm -hmm. uh, uh, I had started working there and I had, I had just gotten sober and I, I just needed a job. Um, and I had a friend that worked at a coffee shop there, uh, worked at that coffee shop and she got me a job and I got hired as like a, you know, part-time barista. I had no idea what I was doing. They had no idea what they were doing. Honestly, like I got taught originally that a 16 ounce, that a cappuccino was like a 16 ounce drink. It was one third espresso, one third milk and one third foam. So Whoa. <laughs> that's a drink right there, man. Um, <laughs> back in the day of like scooping foam, like that's five ounces of espresso. I don't know where anyone was, you know, like that's so <laughs> revolting to think of at now. Um, yeah. but so, you know, that's kind of the level I was brought in at. And, um, you know, I started working full time pretty quickly. Um, and then, about three months after I got hired there, like I, you know, as I said, I had just gotten sober and I, I felt like I really needed to make amends. I had been a really shitty employee for like, you know, 10 years before that. Yeah. Basically, where I worked, I had been a horrible employee. So my sort of living amends was to just work really hard. Um, oh, cool. So I, I kept making these like uh, lists of, you know, stuff that we needed to fix or stuff that would make the thing, the place better or like things we wanted to do. And I knew nothing about specialty coffee at this point. So it was like, you know, we should bring in these new granola bars or what, you know, whatever stupid stuff. But, yeah. um, the, the owner, um, liked that I was doing that. And so about three months in, I got made a manager, um, 
I had no managerial experience in anything ever. Uh, mm -hmm. I got the training, um, you know, definitely just kind of making it up as I went along. Um, and somewhere in that kind of couple month period, I found um, they used to have a subscription to Barista Magazine for whatever reason. And, you know, I like I found one under the counter and it was like, you know, it was like a handlebar or a little twirly mustache drawn on the person on the cover. And like, you know, it was, it was very much just kind of making fun of it, uh, the, the customer, the other baristas. But I started reading it and was just floored. Like there were, you know, this was a whole magazine about baristas. It wasn't even yeah. not even really about coffee. It's just about specialty coffee baristas. And I was just floored. And I started picking up that like there's this whole world in coffee that I have no idea about and I have never seen it before. And there was nothing like that happening really in Albany at that time. Um, mm. So I I started getting, you know, more into that concept. Um, and, you know, I actually found a whole bunch of barista magazines and just started reading them and was just kind of cranking through them. And I went down to Hudson one day and there was this shop called um, Swallow. Uh, it later became Moto and then now it's. Oh, Super yeah. Um, so Aaron from Supernatural used to have a shop also on Warren Street called Swallow. And uh, they were a they were a multi roaster. They still are a multi roaster. But I had they had at that point they had Toby's Estate or no Cafe Grumpy and Stumptown. And I got oh. uh, a Kenyan Peaberry from Stumptown. And I had bought a Chemex and I had not brewed good coffee through it. But I had this Kenyan Peaberry <laughs> and it blew my mind. You know, like it tasted. Yeah you know, cranberry fruits, black currant, red wine. Like it was a very typical Kenya, you know, like yes. you know, tasting it now, I'd be like, all right, whatever, you know, it's, it's a Kenya. But at the mm -hmm. time I had never tasted anything remotely like that. And mm -hmm. it, we just like exploded my brain. Um, so, it, so I just kept driving down to Hudson to buy coffee. Um, yeah. because like they had wild stuff that I had never tasted before. And, yeah. uh, I met Matthew Loyacano. Um, there's a Albany Wine and Dine for the Arts thing, and yes. held yes. A, a mini barista competition. And I went and I I, I competed. I guess I did not win. Um, and I met I met Matthew Loyacano there. And mm -hmm. uh, for those that don't know, Matthew Loyacano is the uh, director of coffee at Superior Merchandise, and yeah. He asked, he invited me to come out to Saratoga. He was working at Uncommon Grounds in Saratoga at that time as the coffee roaster. And he invited me to come out for a cupping. I had never cupped coffee before. I didn't even actually know what coffee was, or cu cupping coffee was. So I went yeah. out and he talked to cup coffee. And um, we just started talking pretty regularly. And he had this guy named Simon Oderkirk that was uh, moving from Providence, Rhode Island to, or he was moving from somewhere to, um, to Saratoga to be operations manager for Spot. And uh, oh. Simon had done quite a bit of coffee stuff at that point. And I, I still remember when I was cupping coffees with Matthew that first time, um, we cupped one and he said, you see that, uh, you taste that like, you know, kind of citrusy, lemony. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, that's citric acid. Like that is a, mm -hmm. an organic 
found that exists in roasted coffee. And it like blew my mind. And Simon had taught him that. And um, so he passed that on to me. And so I had another friend that started working with me at Tierra that was, um, you know, getting into coffee and Simon had moved to town and the Lucas confectionery had just opened and they were serving oh, yeah. blue bottle. There were mm-hmm. a couple people there that were like, you know, getting pretty nerdy. And, uh, you know, one had just moved from Seattle and was working in the confectionery and one had moved from San Francisco and had worked with like, uh, uh, not sight glass, but sight glass accounts and four barrel accounts and stuff like that. So oh, cool. she had worked with HD coffee. And, um, so we had this group of people where we were all interested in coffee and getting into coffee. Um, but none of us had our own shop or anything. None of us was even really working at a specialty coffee shop. Um, mm-hmm. Tierra wasn't uncommon. Wasn't, you know, Lucas confectionery sold, you know, blue bottle, but it wasn't a specialty coffee shop. So we formed this thing called the Capital Region Coffee Collective, and it had originally started with Matthew and I, and it brought in all these other folks over time. And we just kind of used that as a way for all of us people that were nerdy about coffee, which there were like maybe nine of us, um, to taste coffees and the cup coffees and to increase sort of our own knowledge. And then ultimately that started expanding. We did like a we did a brewing demo where we brewed one coffee from Gimme Coffee like nine different ways. I think at Fresh Market in Saratoga in their mm-hmm. little like learning space. Um, and a ton of people came out. We did, you know, one coffee roasted three different ways and brewed to the same parameters to show the very, you know, variability between one coffee and the effect roast has on coffees. Um, yeah. That was actually I the first love event. that stuff, dude. Yeah. We, we want to do stuff like that so bad. And we've. Yeah. delved in it right kev i mean we yeah. we've done uh we we did one coffee brewed three different ways that was an early meetup before any of you know but before we really started to grow at all meetup number um, two it was meetup number two i believe it was just the two of us plus luke i believe luke rock yeah well and he was working that day so it was really just the two of us kind of like all right we're figuring this out like yeah. yeah, and he'd like come in and out and be like, it kind of like what you were saying with with Matthew, where he was like, "Hey, you taste that? That's X Y Z." Um, <laughs> yeah, I I think it's incredible how similar um, what you guys did with the Capital Region Coffee Collective and and what we're aiming to do. I there seems to be a consensus that there is a world unexplored by many people um, in coffee. And and my experience with it, if you if you haven't guessed already, I know I know um, we haven't met in person yet. Um, but I have never worked in coffee um, unless you count um, when I this. was a server. Unless you count this, uh, <laughs> or when I was a server at 18 years old, and they asked me to make a cappuccino, and I did probably something similar to what you're talking about, where I'm taking you a spoon and scooping, oh, yeah. and I'm scooping the foam on top of the coffee, right? Um, so me, my entry into specialty coffee was uh, an aha moment similar to yours, um, and I think mm-hmm. I love hearing those stories because everyone's story is different, but it all comes down to. I didn't know this shit existed and I took a sip of it and was like, what in God's name is this? Like, like I just, you, yeah, you realize that there's so much to learn in an area you didn't even know existed. I think that's really cool. Yeah, for sure. I like niche 
anything like that. Yeah. Like it, you know, talking to anyone that is super passionate at like beyond like general hobbyists, but like mm-hmm. a nerd at whatever they do, if they're, if they're dry, it's boring. But if they're passionate about it, like I get fired up about like this certain kind of engine. I don't know shit about cars, but like if someone's talking to me about it, about like the nuance and, you know, with enough enthusiasm and passion, yeah. I get fired up about it. Like I think that's so cool. And that passion is so contagious. And I also think it's really cool that you're doing this without working in coffee, because I think that so many of us, like the Capital Region Coffee Collective kind of started because almost everyone except for Matthew and I moved away. Not a single one of those people lives around here anymore or are involved in coffee, except for Matthew and I. And we're both the direct mm-hmm. coffees at these two you know, places. Yeah opened a year apart. We were both multi roasters. We both started roasting our own. You know, we, (laughs) Matthew and I, when we bring in a new roast, a new guest roaster, we check with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and guest roasters that we've brought in superior merchandise does not bring in and vice versa. Um, roasters. And it's funny because now we have to do it with green coffee buyers or green coffee importers. You know, he called me and was like, Hey, Uh I know that Steven from the Coffee Quest sent you samples of these two Ecuadors. Which one are you buying? And I said, you know, Las Brueras. And he was like, oh, good. I'm getting this other one. You know, so yeah. the, the only two Ecuadorian coffees from the Coffee Quest, uh, you know, are both here in Albany. But uh, they're different. Um, yeah, right. And they're right. They're different. I'm sure that they're roasted differently. Right. You guys put your own um, your own creativity yeah. into it, uh, yeah. your own curves. And then. Right. They're just different because they're different. Uh, they different farms or are they from the same they're plantation? Yeah, yeah, they're different farms. OK, yeah, they're yeah. Just through the same importer. And like, you know, Ecuadorian coffee, it, it's not like Ethiopian or Colombian where it's, you know, fairly readily available year round. Um, it's a very, very small crop. And mm. in the last couple of years, like uh Cole McBride won the U.S. Barista competition with a coffee from Ecuador called La Pena, um, or excuse mm-hmm. me, La from Juan, the farmer's name was Juan Pena. So, you know, stuff like that puts, uh, you know, a spotlight on a producing country. And it happens almost every year. You know, it was Burundi with Long Miles. It was Juan Pena and La Papaya uh, in Ecuador. It was, uh, you know, La Palme El Tucan is, you know, forever famous, but really has popped over the last couple of years, you know, so it's it goes through these sort of cyclical um, popular origins, we'll say. And Ecuador is not a huge coffee producing country, uh, but it does produce some exceptional coffee. So it's kind of like when there is Ecuadorian coffee, it's here for maybe a month and then it's gone. Um, so wow. it was like the only importer either of us knew with coffee from Ecuador and he had two coffees, uh, you know, Matthew bought two bags of that one. I bought all nine bags of this one. And that was at like that <laughs> of Ecuadorian coffee. So I'm, you know, and we've That's done awesome. that. We work with pretty much mostly the same importers. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, they all, all our salespeople know, you know, to mention, Hey, Matthew bought this or like Ron's buying this and mm-hmm. takes it right off limits, which is cool. Um, it's very it's a, cool, a very yeah, cool, a- uh, still friendly relationship. Um, but yeah, it's cool. awesome. the thing is it's cool having someone that's not working in coffee 
because uh, doing something like this, because it mm -hmm. becomes purely a passion project. Whereas like Matthew and I stopped doing Capital Region Coffee Collective. I mean, everyone left, but for a long time, him and I, you know, we are the two sort of founders and we could have kept going with it, but we are both director of coffee at our own respective shops. So it kind of brought like, when we're doing educational events, we now typically do them through our own shop because yeah. that's the thing that makes sense and the most beneficial thing to like our little shops where like, you know, neither of us are like rolling in money from these shops. Uh, you know, most coffee company owners are not. So it's kind of like every little advantage helps. So we generally do these events through our individual shops. So to see someone just doing it for passion kind of takes that angle out. Um, and I think makes it a little more widely approachable, which I think is a really cool thing. Yeah. Thank you. Now, first yeah. of all, thank you. I, I really appreciate the, the enthusiasm. Kevin was really um, encouraged by your enthusiasm for it, um, mm -hmm. as well as Matthew and uh, a lot of a lot of people from the Albany coffee scene like Ernan that that uh, okay. we've talked to about it. They have all given us you know, really positive receptions, uh, and really, really, uh, insightful criticisms as well. And, or at least in, in, in from advice. a questions, advice and question standpoint, mm -hmm. um, cause they've seen it happen in one form or another. Um, yeah. one Kevin and I being from different worlds is I think an advantage because he has a certain goal uh, and a certain perspective mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I have a different one and we try to find yeah. the best way to make them both happen. So for me personally, um, I want to see the, I want to see what happened with me, uh, reproduced in other coffee drinkers. So we all, all three of us know and, and probably plenty of people listening that coffee started out and continues to be a commodity um, that people drink because it's part of our culture, because it wakes us up in the morning, it's a part of our morning routine, but it's not a craft beverage to a lot of people, even though the opportunity yeah. and the availability of it being a craft beverage is there. Um, people are either... People are either uh, intimidated by it or uh, they don't know that it's there. Yeah. Um, or they're just taking that utilitarian approach of like, this right, is um, what I do. Right, right. How, right. how much uh, complexity do you need to really add into your day? If people have a million things going on, they just want a cup of coffee so they can get going and they don't mm -hmm. want to think too much about it. Um, but I think that there's a lot of room in between where somebody like me, I, you know, I went to school for, you know, science and I'm an engineer, so I'm constantly like I'm a technical guy. And I I was really drawn to how um, science plays a huge role in specialty coffee, whether it's brewing, roasting, um, oh, all look, of it, every part of it, every <laughs> aspect of it is science. And I oh, love I'm, that. I'm like agronomist feedback, you know, all of it. Yeah. 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 Um, so I want to see that replicated in other people. And that's why I'm trying to bring not only just professionals into the loop, but people from just the community because it helps uh, it helps businesses like you um, potentially yeah. create more customer, a, a larger customer base. And, it, yeah. you know, enriches people's lives. So. 
Yeah. Um, you know, Ron, I, I think a really interesting thing to talk about would be, so you had this Capital Region Coffee Collective, and then there was like, there obviously had to be a transition into you being like a co-founder, part owner of um, Stacks. If you wouldn't mind, like in your own words, like what what is your role at Stacks for people who don't know? And then if you could just like explain to us what that transition period was like and what, how, how you were brought into that. Sure. Um, so my, my technical title is I'm the director of coffee at yes. Stacks. Yes. Um, under which falls pretty much everything. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, you know, and that, that wasn't the title we started with. I don't remember what title we started with. Um, it's, I mean, the title, is uh, largely like something to put on the business card, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but for the first, I don't know, six months, eight months, I was a barista almost, every, you know, every day. Um, yeah. I mean, I worked the first 67 days in a row that we opened. Um, wow. And, you I'm know, we, that. That's yeah. <laughs> no. yeah, that is dedication. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, I would never do that again. Um, no, <laughs> no, I would never do that again. You know, like that, that can only, like, I don't want to, uh, sort of fetishize like self flagellation of like days worked without a yeah. break, you know, it's like hustle culture. Was, it's so yeah, toxic. I don't like it. I don't like it. Um, mm. okay. That's a separate conversation. Uh, <laughs> I, worked, I worked a lot as a barista, Um, you know, I love being a barista these days. Well, not these days, these days I don't work at all, but, uh, you know, a month ago (laughs) I went down, I was, you know, still doing between one and three barista shifts a week, especially through the winter as like, you know, margins are tight. Um, anytime we have a bunch of new employees, I try to work with them. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, all of that. And I, I, I work out of the shop very regularly. Uh, yeah. I also oversee our entire wholesale department. So I, I go out and I generally make the sales. Um, but then orders come in to me. I pass them on to our logistics manager and our roaster to make sure that we're getting enough coffee roasted. Mm-hmm. Um, I do all the green coffee buying. Um, you know, I choose all the coffees that we're going to buy. I figure out the, con- the you know, the amount of con- coffee we're going to be contracting, mm-hmm. um, whether that's spot purchase or pre-book. I kind of like general manage, right? Like I manage the managers. Um, so each shop an individual manager, but I check in with them to make sure like individual, you know, goals and tasks are getting done, stuff like that. See if they need any help, you know, um, I'm still, there's been like two people that I was not part of that. I didn't interview like that. I actually, that got hired completely without me where I walked into the shop and was like, hi, I'm Ron. That was a very surreal experience. Uh, one of our shops is just outside of Boston. And when we opened that shop, I, I moved there for two and a half months to open it. So oh, wow. when oh, I came wow. back, there was a person behind the bar that I had never seen before. Whereas, I mean, every other employee that's ever worked for Stacks, I've been one of the three interviews that they've gotten. Oh, cool. um, so that was a strange experience uh, to have interviewed and hired or to have someone that had been hired and interviewed without my input at all. Um, yeah. And I just yeah. and introduce them, so, introduce myself to them. Um, 
but it was cool. It worked out. Um, That's good. I, I do a little bit of everything. Um, yeah. Is you know, I oversee all the new shop builds and uh, openings. Um, mm-hmm. I still do a fair training. Uh, so m- a little bit of everything. I'd say yeah. my main focus these days is green buying, overseeing wholesale, and managing the managers. That's awesome. Um, That's really and cool. then. What was the bridge from the Capital Region Coffee Collective into Stacks for you? Uh, so I was going to say Capital Region Coffee Collective didn't have that much to do with it, but I, I guess that's sort of untrue. Um, I mean, in mm. addition, like, you know, jazzing me up more and getting me more enthusiastic about coffee. So I had mm-hmm. mentioned we did that. Uh, we brewed that gimme coffee like nine different ways or whatever. Yeah, we posted a little video of that and Gimme was very excited about it and they invited us to come out and tour their roastery. So, you know, they're in Ithaca. It's two and a half, two and a half, three hours. So we actually took a road trip out there mm-hmm. and uh, and we toured their roasting facility and went to their shops and they sent us home with some coffee and they were just generally very cool to us. So, That's super uh, cool. Yeah, which we, you know, we had never really done that at that point. Um, and it was cool to have someone like outside of the capital region recognize that like, oh, this is a cool thing. Like, come on out. So mm-hmm. my business partner, Tyler, I was working at Tierra at the time, as I had mentioned. And my business partner, Tyler, um, I had been acquaintances with for about seven years at that point. I actually met him through uh, his younger sister, who I had been friends with. And I was at a party at her house mm-hmm. and he just sort of showed up and we started talking and, you know, throughout the next seven years, maybe every six months or so, we would like see each other on the street. And like, mm-hmm. you know, he's like six, seven, uh, like he's very, very tall, very skinny. He's got like a really nice car. He's, you know, he dresses <laughs> in like a blazer all the time. Yeah. Uh, and just like very put together. He started like, you know, he's probably started like six or seven different businesses. He, you know, he definitely has that like entrepreneurial thing. Meanwhile, when he met me in 2007, I was like fresh off a stint of like squatting literally under bridges in New York City for, oh, you know, wow. five years. like just being like a <laughs> oogle gutter punk, you know, um, and, you know, kind of remain like. I don't consider myself an entrepreneur at all. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I consider myself a coffee person for sure, but an entrepreneur, not at all. So he came into the coffee shop, Tierra, and he kind of looked side to side and or he asked me how everything was going. And I was like, it's all right. You know, I was having a really rough time at that point. Um, there were a lot of changes that were happening that I didn't like. I, my relationship with the owner had really, really heavily soured. I was managing two mm. people, or two shops and a pretty large staff that I really didn't know. You know, I had no management training and I didn't really have a very, uh, we'll say emotionally supportive boss. Um, mm. I would later come to realize that I would probably qualify it more as an, I had an emotionally abusive boss, but I didn't recognize mm. I was kind of just like, oh, this is real life. This is real work. It's, um, and I didn't really realize that there was a better way or that everyone didn't, you know, live on the edge of a panic attack all the time because their boss was a jerk. (laughs) But, um, so he asked me how things were going and I was like, you know, they're okay. Like not great. I stepped down from being manager. Um, 
a lot of changes that I'm not crazy about. And he kind of looked side to side a little bit and leaned in and was like, yeah, I speak freely, uh, which I thought was a very weird thing to say. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, what's up? And he said, you know, Cafe Vero's going out of business. I'm buying it. Um, we should talk. And so oh, Cafe shit. Vero was on Lark Street. Um, that was pretty known for having good espresso and good equipment. Yeah. Um, and they had announced that they were going out of business. So, wow. Um, yeah, my boss owned that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he had left at that point, which I yeah, think was yeah, part yeah. of his going out of business because he was, you know, the guy in the shops and, you know, making sure everything was running smooth. And Mike, the other owner, you know, works for the state. So he roasts the coffee. Um, but he doesn't have uh, the best capacities as a people person and a manager. Mm -hmm. So I think yeah. it had really kind of taken its toll there. Um, and he had announced that he was going to close. And Tyler, mm -hmm. at that point, was doing his own cybersecurity thing, but it was just him. And he lived on Lark Street. So he would go to that shop all the time to work. And he started noticing that there was very inconsistent levels of service. Sometimes it was a person that was really great. Sometimes it was a person that would like act like they were, you know, severely inconvenienced by having to make him a drink. Sometimes oh the gosh. drink, sometimes it really sucked. You know, sometimes this thing was in stock. Sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes the place was clean. Sometimes it was dirty. So it was just, he was noticing these like massive inconsistencies. Mm -hmm. um, so when he, when he found out that they were closing, he immediately started talking to the owner because it was like, man, this place could be so much better with just a couple little changes, um, namely around mm -hmm. like consistency and friendliness and, you know, maybe some new paint colors and, you know, stuff like that. So um, because, again, he's got that entrepreneurial spirit. Coffee yeah. uh, doesn't know a thing about coffee, um, which is like the funniest part of all this is that he had already talked to the owner about buying this coffee shop without knowing anything about coffee other than occasion. He's he's an opportunist. He saw an opportunity, an entryway, and he took it. And I like that. And like, you know, that's what I mean when I say that he's an entrepreneur and I'm not. Meanwhile, sure. I was managing two coffee shops and like as heavily invested as I could be at that time in coffee. And I would have regular customers that would see me in there every day and they'd be like, you know, so when are you opening your own shop? And I'd be like, never. This sucks. You know, like I did. <laughs> I did not want to have a shop. Um, yeah. And, you know, and again, my polar opposite, Tyler, is over here knowing nothing about coffee, having never worked in coffee, barely drank coffee, buying a coffee shop. So anyway, he walked wow. into the shop. He said, uh, you know, I'm buying Cafe Vero. We should talk. Um, we exchanged phone numbers. The next day I went out to give me coffee with the Capital Region Coffee Collective. Um, and we went in two cars and. You know, we were kind of speculating on like, I was like, hey, guys, this dude I know is buying a coffee shop and said, let's talk like, you know, and we just yeah. sort of uh, we just sort of fantasized about what we would do if we had rerun of a coffee shop. Because, again, these were people from the Lucas Confectionery, a wine bar that has pour overs. These were people yeah. from, you know, Uncommon Grounds, a bagel shop that also roasts coffee, you know. Yeah. Uh, from Tierra, where it's like yeah. trying to be an organic version of Starbucks. You know, none of us had just a coffee shop and especially not a specialty coffee shop. There were two yeah. places that sold pour overs in the entire capital district at that point. Um, like, like what year is this district? 
this is 2014. Um, okay. So, you wow. know, Liquid wow. Confectionery sold uh, Bee House pour overs of Blue Bottle, and mm-hmm. we did Chemist at Tierra. Um, and it was like, I was the only one that really cared about uh, me and this guy, Tony, were the only people that cared about making Chemexes. You know, it was like basically an off menu item for people that like were like, what's that thing on the shelf? I want one of those, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so we kind of spent this, this drive uh, fantasizing about what we would do if we had like, you know, run of the mill, whatever choice we wanted. And I got back and I had texted Tyler and he hadn't answered and he had come in on a Tuesday we went to Ithaca for Gimme on Wednesday. Thursday, mm-hmm. I had texted him again, and he still hadn't answered. And I was like, man, this is weird. So Friday, I ended up going online, and I found him on Facebook. And he happened to be online, and I sent him a message and was like, hey, dude, like, did you still want to talk? And I had actually copied down his number wrong. Um, oh. And, oh, shit. Yeah, I know. It's like, the, you know, a butterfly flaps its wings, right? Oh, and yeah. uh, so... He was like, I was wondering why I hadn't heard from you. I thought that was really weird. So we got together that night in Washington Park, which is across the street from my apartment. And mm-hmm. we sat down and he said, you know, I'm buying Cafe Vero. Like, I want to hear about your coffee experience. And I, I basically told him the story that I've told you guys about, you know, starting at Tierra and reading the magazine and realizing there's this whole other world. And then starting the Capital Coffee, uh, Capital Region Coffee Collective with Matthew. And it was entirely aimed at, like, first improving us as specialty coffee professionals and then later educating the public because there's this whole it felt at that point it felt like we know a secret that yeah. other people yeah. because like coffee totally tastes felt that way. much better than what you are drinking mm-hmm. um i mean and i i say that with like the caveat of like taste is subjective on the back of our bags i wrote a whole thing about taste being subjective and i mean that but um but you know, if you drank Folgers your whole life and then you have like a beautiful, you know, a beautiful Kenya, it's a mm-hmm. very different experience, especially yeah. if you're black. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it felt like I knew this secret and that I wanted to share. And so ultimately, after a couple hours of talking with him, one of the things that really sold him was that Matthew and I had started the Capital Region Coffee Collective. We had no plans to make money. We had no feasible way of making money. We were purely doing it because we were so excited about coffee. So he was like, you know, if you've got like, that's the kind of passion and enthusiasm I want. And I was basically expecting him to offer me a management position. So boy, was I shocked when he was like, uh, I want your passion and enthusiasm. I believe to get the full measure of that, you need some skin in the game. Here's the percentage of ownership I'm willing to offer you. Uh, let wow. me know what need for a salary, get back to me, but don't take too long. And I was kind of like, holy shit. So I went home. That must've been uh, the best day ever. That must've been like, <laughs> yeah. such a cool day. It was so wild. I couldn't even really, <laughs> I, I didn't know what to do. Like I, I was just kind of floored. So yeah. I went home and I talked to, uh, who was then my girlfriend and is now my wife. Um, and I also talked to my brother-in-law and my dad. Um, oh. and I, you know, I called Tyler back up maybe like an hour after we left from each other and was like, you ready to talk? And we, we met back up. So it was like, you know, I thought about it for one hour. Um, yeah. <laughs> we, we met at uh, Justin's, which is now Savoy on Lark Street. And mm-hmm. we just went back and forth on numbers a little bit. till we found something that like kind of worked for both of us. 
Um, that so this was on Friday. He had reached out to me on Tuesday. Wednesday went to Gimme. Thursday didn't talk. Friday all this happened, um, and we shook hands on Friday. We walked wow. to. There was one person that still worked at Cafe Vero. We walked to his house. We got the key. We went in. He showed me the shop. Um, I really wanted to see the equipment because I had never worked on a Sinesso before. So that was the thing I was more excited about than anything mm-hmm. else. I had only worked on really crappy espresso machines. So like, <laughs> Sinesso was yeah. like, oh, you know. Um, so that's that's such like a classic like coffee nerd thing where like you weren't even you were like of course excited about like you know ownership in a coffee company but you were really stoked about that espresso machine (laughs) i was so excited so um that was friday uh i went back i like you know touched the senesa wall over for a while and then um (laughs) saturday and sunday we basically had like you know he called his family i called my family like Mm -hmm. you know we kind of recruited everyone we knew and we had like a cleaning party for like 13 hours each day. It was like, you know, oh wow. started around eight o'clock in the morning and finished around, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night. And in that time we, you know, we just cleaned the hell out of the place and we, you know, repainted it and everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we opened on Monday. So like, you know, we shook hands on Friday and we opened on Monday. That is a um, very fast turnaround. I mean, in my yeah. very limited experience in business, things can sometimes take a very long time. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's definitely different from opening a new business for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it was helpful because we were take you know, it was an established business and they were already closing mm-hmm. on the weekend at that point. Cause they were like, you know, kind of tanking at that point. So, yeah. uh, so we just opened like they had every other, you know, they, again, they had one person that was, yeah. I think he was working there like eight to four Monday through Friday and that was it. So, um, wow. we kept those hours, uh, well, we, we kept opening at eight for at that point. And basically Tyler and I would meet there at eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning every day. I decided he, he has always completely trusted me with coffee decisions, which is very cool. Um, that is cool. regardless of price, like, the most it gets is like, do we really need this? And if I say yes, he says, okay, you know? Okay. Uh, so, you know, we decided, I, I decided I wanted to be a multi roaster because we wanted, um, the cafe Vero coffee would act as, um, the consistency for folks. Um, mm-hmm. but then we could bring in guest roasters to like show people this other thing and do pour overs to show people this other thing. Wow, and, that's cool. and so, you know, nine o'clock in the morning we would meet the other guy kevin would be working and we would work on you know paperwork figuring out who we're going to use as a baker you know all these different things mm-hmm. um, have a new name at that point um and then so you were still cafe vero yes okay. um and then kevin would leave at four i would have been there since nine and then i would get behind the bar at four and work until ten. Um, oh wow I did that Monday through Friday and then on the weekends at first we didn't have another employee and we weren't going to make Kevin work more than five days a week. Um, yeah. So I would just work open to close. I would work from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. when uh, Friday and Saturday or Saturday and Sunday, I mean. And um, that's awesome. And so this is your 64 day stint, right? I'm 67. But yes, 67. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But yes, it, it was. 
And so it was, you know, it was like, I don't know, I, I don't somewhere in the realm of like 90 to 110 hours a week. It was super dumb. Uh, yeah, but it was it, I was like super hyped on this new excitement and this new freedom that I had never had. I was enjoying work in a way that I like very literally did not believe was actually possible. Uh, oh, that's awesome. And that said they liked their job was totally full of shit um, mm -hmm. and just like kissing ass. So, you know, I, I was I was like very much on fire with that, uh, which is mm -hmm. why I can never do it now. You know, like I'm not on fire in the same way. I still love it. Um, but I also recognize that like it's work and yeah. I love it and I'm passionate about the subject matter and I'm passionate about like working with people. That's been one of the most rewarding parts, but it's still work and it's still tiring. And I would yeah, never subject sure. myself to working 67 days in a row again. Uh, Nor anybody else, probably. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's terrible. You know, yeah. like it should not be needed. Um, and at yeah. that point, I was excited to do it, but I wouldn't do that again. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of how Stacks came about. Um, that's cool. Yeah. And I mean, the Capital Region Coffee Collective did play a part in it because, you yeah. know, that was part of what sold him on like me being the right partner for him. That's awesome. Um, and then obviously, you know, you guys have grown a lot since then, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That has mostly been spearheaded by Tyler. Um, yeah. As a, I don't have that entrepreneurial, the entrepreneurial. drive. <laughs> yeah. So right. I right. was satisfied with one shop. Um, I couldn't conceive of owning one shop. So I definitely couldn't conceive of more. So when yeah. he said it was time to expand, I was like, we got a good thing going here. Don't ruin it. And um, we ended up opening the Broadway shop. It went great. Um, and after that, I started kind of buying into the idea. Um, okay. I had a lot of insecurity when we first started Stacks that like we're only doing well because we're in a small city where there's nothing better. Um, because at that point, Superior didn't exist. Three Fish didn't exist. Crew didn't exist. Like there was yeah. no it was like, mm. you know, Stacks pulling like single origin espressos and pour overs versus you know, the Daily Grind, Tierra, uh, Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, Uncommon Grounds, which like all those places have their worth and their value. And I'm not trying to like, you know, crap on them. Um, but we were I, I knew that we were doing something different with specialty. But I very much had this complex of like, if this was in a major city, we wouldn't stand a chance. And so then I would totally. go to other cities and I mean, the, the, the big one for me was Tyler got married in June of 2015 and my wife went out there and he got married uh, out in like um, Marblehead, Massachusetts. And so my wife and I took a little trip to Boston on the way home and mm -hmm. we found out that there was a George Howell coffee. And at, at that point, it was only George Howell Newtonville was the, their only retail shop. Um, Hmm. And, but I love George Howell. They, they were my, they are still one of my absolute favorite roasters of all time. They were oh, at that awesome. point. Um, and we had brought them in as a guest roaster. So I wanted to go and taste like, you know, made by the makers. Yeah. So I went and this was pretty soon after we had had George Howell on as a guest roaster. And I got a shot of Ethiopian espresso and I got a pour over and I drank the Ethiopian espresso and I drank the pour over and they were great. But I also realized that like, we pull this exact same shot of espresso every day. Like yep. I make the same pour over every day. And like that was when it started to sink in that like our coffee comp quality was pretty comparable to like the people 
who are well-trained and who are in big cities and who are doing great. And that was like a really cool realization. So that kind of hit and it it bolstered my confidence a bit. And I I had that experience time and time again in different cities. And um, so, you know, the second shop went very well, the Broadway location, which is now like arguably sort of our flagship store. That was also our first build from nothing. Right. So that was like a total space. Um, my wife is an interior designer, so she designed that space from the ground up. Every building material, the lighting plan, oh. the plan, the counter layout, like everything. And so, it is super beautiful, cool. by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she did a really excellent job. So uh, yeah, she did. That one had like a very, <laughs> uh, a very uh, personal investment in in a way that we hadn't really had before you know it was like we bought this other shop we did what we could do it um but this was like holy crap we built this like very very much so Mm -hmm. um and it took off you know so uh the shop in boston um we also learned from the lark street thing of you know taking over a shop that's going out of business we can look at what they're doing badly and if some other factors are correct like if the location's good and you know we can see some of where their mistakes are and mm-hmm. you know what our average ticket number is, you know, our average sale and stuff like that. And if there's way below, then we believe we can usually lift it up to around what ours is. And um, so the show that's awesome. that's been in Newton, like I found via an Instagram post from a Boston coffee nerd, like he had just took an, taken a picture of a, a sign in the window that said store for rent, you know, and a phone number in the picture. And the caption was like, hope someone takes over this great shop before it closes at the end of the month. So you know, because of that Lark Street experience, that first shop experience, we were kind of like, screw it, I'll call. So I called, I called on a Wednesday, I got a hold of the owners on Friday, they kind of told me what they were doing, and maybe, you know, what they were looking to do a little bit. Um, The next day, Tyler and I conference called with them, and they shared their QuickBooks information. So we were able to like, look at their QuickBooks information and kind of start gaining delve into the numbers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, and that helps with like, okay, this is their current revenue. This was their top revenue. Now it's down here. This is their average sale, but our average sales up here again. So like, right there, even if their amount of transactions don't go up, if the average sale goes up three bucks, you know, it's almost like doubling the amount of transactions, whatever. So stuff like that. Um, So we had that conference call and shared the numbers on Saturday. And on Sunday, Tyler and I drove out there and we met with the owners. And um, we ended up making them an offer um, and they just accepted on the spot. We shook hands and, you, and we drove to the new coffee shop. Um, that's great. And you opened on Monday, right? Because that's how you guys do things. So. <laughs> I, moved, no. I moved the following Tuesday. Whoa. Um, I, I started. Um, Moving I fast. Started I love it. Signing up new account, you know, getting, a, yeah. you know, sure we had a milk distributor and, you know, stuff like that and hiring people. My wife was working full time in Albany at that time. So she came out on the weekends and we repainted the whole place and put up like a plant wall and did all oh. that in like, you know, 48 hours one week and 48 hours the next week. Uh, and two and a half weeks later, we opened. So it was, Damn. you know, from, from the date of purchase to the day we opened was about three and a half weeks. You know, uh, you, you said you're not an entrepreneur, but you definitely have like a spearhead. I'm a Go forward dude. attitude about you that it's maybe if like you don't consider it to be like 
total like I'm looking at this and I I see everything in entrepreneur would see. You definitely have like a work ethic that is very akin to what I, I would call it. Yeah, it's only for coffee though. Like, okay. Like if they, I I'm not an idea guy. Like Tyler, no. we have a co-working space because of Tyler. You know, okay. like I would never have thought of that, cared yeah. about it. You know, like my wife is an idea person. Like she just like invents stuff all the time and like I'm like but you do this why would you do that other like I just my yeah. mind doesn't work like that I'm not an idea guy but I am a coffee guy uh, yeah. so when it's you know when it's an opportunity for a new shop that I believe in yeah I'll work for it you know like That's I'll awesome. work for it and yeah. you know I, I also feel very grateful because Tyler has sort of um Tyler gave me an opportunity to do this thing. And like, yeah. you know, that's not to say that it was just this like totally altruistic goal, right? Like he didn't know anything about coffee and he bought a coffee shop. Like he needed me for sure. I, yeah. I won't say that he didn't, but he right. also gave right. me an opportunity beyond what I would have created for myself. Um, mm. And he has given me a ton of trust over like equipment, uh, coffee decisions, hiring mm -hmm. decisions, serving decisions, design decisions. Like he's pretty much given me free reign to say like, we need to do this. That's awesome. Like I said, you know, he asks like, do we really need it? And I say yes, and we do it. Or sometimes I'm like, not really, but I really want it. And then we talk about it, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. So he's, he's afforded me a lot of trust in all that. And he's always taken care of me with that kind of stuff. So, you know, mm -hmm. sort of the repayment in that is like, you've trusted me to open the coffee shop. So I'm going to go open this coffee shop, you know, and, right. and work my ass off to do it. Yeah. That's awesome. man. Oh. Um, At this point, we had a really long conversation about roasting and how stacks got involved in roasting, what buying green coffee is like. And we went into the supply chain conversation about the sea market and about uh, the, you know, how there's only so much that small businesses and specialty coffee companies can do to address the growing issue of unsustainable business practices uh, and how farmers often can't make a reasonable living growing coffee right now because the sea market price is so low. This is a really great conversation, but it was really long and I wanted to break this up a little bit. So what we're going to do is we're going to have this part of the conversation available separately for supporters of this podcast. Uh, either via Patreon or some other way. We will keep you informed about that. But we're going to have some special stuff like this stored away for you guys um, in the near future. Okay, back to the show. Okay. I read your Instagram post the other day um, okay. about adjusting to a new normal, right? Sure. Adapting, yeah. right? Yeah. What What is the positive that you can see when it comes to adjusting to a new normal after COVID-19, when it comes to adapting based off of what we've gone through right now, because I'm, and maybe that's a little hard to answer. And if you don't have an answer for it, it's okay. Okay. Like, that's so just, that really got my wheels turning. My simple answer is that people have a way greater appreciation for their local coffee shop once it closes, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So that coffee shop opens back up. Cause man, the amount of people that I, that have texted me and been like, yo, I bought your house blend online and it doesn't taste that. It doesn't taste <laughs> like when you, you know, and I, yeah, have, yeah. I have people and been like, okay, what does it taste like? Is it bitter? Okay. You got to make the grind coarser. Is it, you know, is it sour? Mm -hmm. Like to add more coffee, like 
people, you know, trying to figure out volumetric measurements for people that don't have scales, like, you know, how many, how many, two uh, scoops. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, all right, I need you to find a <laughs> measuring cup. That's going to be the equivalent of, of about 50 grams of coffee, right. you know, and try to walk people through that. And they start mm-hmm. realizing, or, well, what kind of water are you using? You know, like, no, people yeah. don't know how to kind of water they're using you know yeah, like do you, have, do you have a way to measure tds no oh. right, right. So I, I you know i send them a link to third wave water or whatever but um you know i think people will have a, a greater appreciation for the people that make their coffee um yeah. and for the skill that goes into it and for really for how much uh social social and emotional gain they get from going from the act of going to a coffee shop um yeah. because i that's what people are missing as well, more so, uh, maybe more so than the actual coffee. We've gotten so many comments about people that miss seeing us every day, that oh. miss our baristas every day. Yeah. You know, like we've a virtual tip jar, and so many people were like, "I miss you so much." Um, and yeah. so, kind of really good appreciation for, you know, we base we hire based on personality. You know, like I love my people that work at Stacks. And, yeah, you have great people there. You know, we, we hire based on personality because you can train anyone to make coffee. Like it's a it's a bunch of formulas and, you know, like it's it's not it's not that hard. Like it's a lot to know, but like mm-hmm. act of it isn't hard. Like there's it, there's not uh, many physical limitations. It's like understanding the numbers and how it works. And with proper training, pretty much anyone can do that. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, so then we're just hiring on the person and their personality because we are a service business first. Um, we have always kind of said like, you know, service is the number one, most important thing for us. Coffee is a close second. Um, Mm, and so, you know, that starts to really show when we close and you don't get to like have that daily interaction. And like, you know, we're in position as all baristas, not just stacks, but like all baristas are in this position where like when you're, when, when you're working at a shop and you're the opener in the morning, um, you're talking to people in like a pretty vulnerable position, right? Like you might be yeah. the person they act, interact with there in their entire day. Mm-hmm. Um, haven't had their coffee. They're about to go to work. They might be having a rough day. And so if you act like a dick, you're really setting their day off in the wrong foot, but they might come in and be kind of bumming. Maybe it's rainy out. And then they see you and you're smiling and you remember their drink and you remember their name and you like ask how, you know, the kid's baseball game went or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they feel welcomed and they feel cared about and they feel taken mm-hmm. care of. And it really has a chance to like, you know, make someone's day and set them off on a, on a, on a really good foot. And so when that gets kind of yanked away, you have two things, you have that like beautiful interaction or hopefully beautiful interaction getting taken away. And you also have like actually good coffee taken away if people don't know how to make it well. Themselves. Oh yeah. Um, so they've got like, two different things that they're missing and they're missing, uh, you know, stacks in, um, or whatever their coffee shop is in two different ways. So I think people will have, um, a a bigger appreciation for the people making their coffee and also how, you know, difficult it can be to make coffee right. And, you know, the skill set taken to make coffee right. But I also have seen, um, just so much beautiful solidarity through this whole thing, uh, where like, you know, all the baristas are everyone else's tip jars. You know, you guys did it with the entire community where you just donated like pretty much everything in your coffers to the tip jars. Like that was incredible, you know, and like, thank you. Thank you. 
about pint sizes, tip jars and, you know, and three fishes, tip jars and, you know, everyone's Mm -hmm. cross posting and cross supporting and like, you know, everyone's ordering coffee from everyone else and bumping everyone else's stuff. And, um, you know, people are donating to different relief funds and like, I got donuts delivered to my house just to like support this person, you know? And it's like, it's like a lot of really beautiful solidarity happening right now in a way that, um, I, I think a fair amount of people maybe have the inclination to, uh, normally, but it feels weird or they just don't have that much of a push. Um, Mm -hmm. and so all of a sudden that's getting kicked into high gear because everyone's sort of in crisis, you know? Yeah. and we've we're all sort of trying to share this feeling of like abundance, even if we're feeling a little bit scarcity, we know that everyone's scarcity. So coming from that is this feeling of abundance. And like I can share with this person because other people have shared with me and we're all kind of in this together and we're all taking care of each other. And like and all this stuff. I mean, like this is like a wild social experiment. It's like the world's largest work from home experiment. And also yeah. like. And I'm on a, I'm on a WhatsApp group chat with my entire entire family. My 67 year old mom, my brother that lives in Belize, like my niece that lives in uh, Maryland, and like sometimes it's a nightmare. But it's also wild to see like my like Luddite family just like picking up technology because all of a sudden they have to, and they like it's yeah. the only way they're going to see their grandkids is by like hitting them up on Google Duo, and bam, they learned, you know, and it's yeah. that's cool. Because they had to learn, right? Whereas before, yeah. they didn't have to figure out the internet. I, yeah. I've I've said before uh, in a recent uh, in our last not last podcast, but m- more recent podcast um, that there's gonna be there's gonna be a moment when all of this is behind us, and it's probably going to be that first day or two, and it might only be that, but. There's going to be this weird moment that we'll never, hopefully never be able to experience again, which is this euphoria of every person's going to get to like leave their house and go to their local coffee shop and life will sort of return to normal again. We don't know when that is, but there's going to be a day and you need to like pay attention because that day is fleeting and people are going to be, I, I mean emotional people are going to be gracious yeah full of gratitude and i i think that we have to lean into that be supportive when that time comes for all our people and and be receptive to um yeah you know all of it i just i i think there's going to be a really weird couple days but a really beautiful couple days that humanity won't get to see a lot of i think and like you said hold on to that. Right. Because yeah. it's so easy to be like, Oh, I got to go back to work right now. And it's like, well, on quarantine day 642, you would have killed someone to go to work. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, holding that gratitude of like, I can go back into the world and, you know, and it's, and it's safe and people care about each other. And like, you know, everyone will start to likely most people will start to lose that over time as yeah. you know, as something resembling the old normal kind of comes back, um, or something kind of like that, probably, hopefully. Um, and you know, so I think those first three days will be filled with a lot of gratitude. And then I think if we don't really, like you said, pay attention because that is, that is feeling. And like, you know, it's, 
it's like, you know, cancer survivors saying like life's much more precious now. And I hope we can all kind of hold that feeling of like life is a little more precious when, you know, it's a privilege to be able to stay inside only when you want to. Right. Uh, it's been awesome right. talking to you, Kevin. Do you do you have there's, any other questions? There's, yeah, there's two things we got to do. Two things. Um, oh, I know yeah. what they are. There are two things. Uh, so, Ron, we always do uh, what's in your mug. So even if you're not drinking coffee right now, like what 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 have you been drinking lately that pops up in your head when we ask that? I've been taking full advantage of quarantine. Um, Madcap sent a box of samples. Uh, mm-hmm. As our, you know, next potential guest roaster. So yeah. I brought home that entire box of samples and have been working through like they've got like a Louis Reynoso, they've got a Gateway Hills Long Miles Burundi, um, Whoa. Uh, this amazing natural Ethiopia, which is the only natural I've ever had from Madcap called Heliana, that was like out of this world. Um, Dude, that's uh, awesome. Couple others from Madcap. Um, I had a La Palmiera Geisha from Costa Rica from a roaster called Mountain Air Roasting out of uh, Asheville, North Carolina. He's like a one-man roasting operation. And you know, you mentioned earlier that you were an engineer. He is an engineer that has literally built his own coffee roaster. He, Get out he, of here! That's insane. I'll forward you guys the email. He's got a he's got a homemade fluid bed roaster which has oh. gone through four prototypes now. Uh, put it in the show notes. I think that's yeah. uh, that's definitely something cool. He commercially roasts coffee, and he is a former engineer, and he is unbelievable. We've used him as our guest roaster several times. He's one of the best coffee roasters in the country, and it's a one-man operation on a that's homemade amazing. fluid at Asheville, North Carolina. He's unbelievable. So I had that. <laughs> also drinking... Um, an Ecuador uh, Sidra varietal from Oddly Correct, who is our current guest roaster and very awesome. And people should check them out because they're doing a lot of really cool things as far as uh, barista wage guarantees, uh, paying in a living yeah. wage, and also um, no takeaway cups. So uh, some big sustainability at, um, initiatives. So they're yeah. also worth checking out. You know, your quarantine is not sounding so bad right now. Yeah, that sounds like your a quarantine. pretty decent quarantine, man. I'm making it happen every morning. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, okay. And then the other thing that we always do is what's your jam? Like what, what's, your what's jam? a band that you've been getting down on? Is there like a song that you've been listening to a lot or like an oh, album? Boy. Um, I feel like I have to check my Spotify. Uh, I do that too. What pops up in your head when I ask that question? Honestly, the last two days I've been like, man, I just want to listen to stuff that's like kind of light and fun. So I've been listening to this really goofy pop punk band called Modern Baseball. Um, oh, I love Modern Baseball. I like Modern Baseball too. Good. It's so, it's so corny um, because they're like unabashedly truthful about the fact that they're 19 and talking to someone on Twitter. And like they have a whole song about that, and like I really appreciate their candle. <laughs> um, I've also been listening to this band Sprainerd a lot, uh, okay. who's kind of like melodic mid-tempo punk. Um, How do you spell that? Sprainerd? Like spray, S-P-R-A-Y-N-A-R-D. Sprainerd. Uh, yep. Cool. But all right, cool, man. Well, that's that's everything. Thank you, you guys all. so much for on. I really appreciate it, and I can't Dude. wait to do it in actual person and not over Skype. Same. Uh, me too. We'll coffee with you together and, you know. 
Uh, dude, Bounce we can't it. wait to have more coffee with you. Let's do a coffee nine. Let's do a coffee ten ways, Ron. Yeah. Ten All ways. Right. Love, Love it. it man. All right. Take care, guys. Thank you. Peace. Peace. See you guys. You.